0: Some of you were surprised that I was actually here this morning. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, or you were disappointed or encouraged, but uh, yes, we did take some time. Uh, PJ and I went out to uh, New York and saw the newest grandson and played with the other two grandchildren, so that's always fun. And Alex is uh, three and a half, my oldest grandson, and so we had fun, and his phrase of the day was, not today, Appa, and so if I wanted a snack from him or playing the game, I didn't do it the right way, he'd go, not today, Appa, and so we had lots of fun and lots of laughs and a few tears the at the airport last night when we were saying goodbye to them, but it is good to be back, and we're happy to be home, and uh, yeah, we'll get to catch up with Ezra maybe a little bit later on as well. I was playing with him a little bit, and he's a distraction over there, so try to ignore him. I can be upstaged by my grandson already, but I wanted to be here this morning, and I'm glad I'm here this morning because I want to continue on in our study of Samuel, and you may say, man, this has been a long study, and yes, it has been a long study in Samuel, but hopefully you've gotten things out of it because Samuel's life is unique, and it's also kind of encouraging because it's things that we can struggle with as well and things that we go through. Um, and it also gives a, a picture of the Bible, of a, a section of time in Israel's history where they're going through a transition, right? And it involves change, and it involves some hard things, and things don't always go, always go as planned, and things do not always go smoothly, Um, I find that even in my own life, there's always transition, right? We're transitioning from being parents to grandparents or from one position to another or from one um, stage in life to the next. And so there's always that going on, and it affects us in many ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, There's even some changes in some of the organizations that we are sponsored with. Camp Jim's going through a transition. uh, Lakes Area Pregnancy is going through a transition, and They're not always smooth, and they're sometimes causes conflict and struggles. And guess what? Israel's history is no different. They're transitioning from judges to kings. Samuel is that last judge in the line of judges, as you've read the story and the history, and now they're into the kings. And again, Saul is the first king, and Saul was a man. And so he makes mistakes, and he has struggles. And again, the people asked for a king, and they gave him. God gave him a king. But what was their reasoning for wanting a king? To be like the other nations. And again, that was never Israel's purpose. They were not to be like the other nations. They were to be different. They were to be set apart. They were to be the example of, of God here on earth to be pointing people towards God. Now thankfully, and, and even today, right? God is still faithful even when we're not faithful. Right? That's the one constant. That's the one thing that we see throughout our history and, and even today, right? I can tell you as sure as I'm standing here, God is faithful. It's not dependent upon us, not dependent on the king, not dependent on the people. God is still faithful. And for me that's a big In many ways. Because if I'm relying on people, people let us down. Leaders let us down. Pastors let us down. Somebody let Joe down this morning and didn't get him his, his announcements. He had to get his own announcements this morning. That's it. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus because I'm not sure who, the, who has that responsibility. Bryce is taking ownership. Brandon's, oh, poor Brandon's throwing him under the bus, so that's good. That's... <laughs> if you could only see the things that I see, it's just kind of fun, and so uh, it, it's all good, and uh, I'm thankful for that, but Saul lets him down as well, all right, and last week, if you were with us, and, and we looked at the beginning of that, right? Saul failed, and Samuel called him out. Samuel does his farewell speech and, and, and turns it over and says, you know what? You're now the leader, and he steps down and steps out of the way. But Saul's decline has started, right? And so Samuel is that, that warning and that voice of reason and that voice of God, but Samuel says, Saul, it's not going well. You're headed in the wrong direction, The interesting part is, because we've gone through Samuel, right? If you remember when he became king, it took a while, right? It took a few chapters, and we said, well, you know, Saul was anointed, then the people recognized him, he had a battle, and then finally he gets established, and that covered about three chapters. Well, guess what? On Saul's decline as king, it's the same way. I don't know if the writer intended that or not, but it's it's the way Scripture unfolds. And so it's not like an all of a sudden God rips the kingdom from Saul, but it's a progression. And so we saw the start of that last week, and now we're going to be into chapter 15. And yes, if you've been with us, I skipped over 14 on purpose. It's a, a part of the battle scene and part of that, and hopefully you read that in between. Because again, we're focusing on Samuel, not the whole book of... Samuel into Saul's and David's reign, so I encourage you to read on because we're going to make another leap in a little bit as well. And just so you know, my goal is to finish Samuel by the end of May, that's the goal, and we'll start Galatians this summer, unless God changes my mind, and I try to leave room for that, obviously, uh, to be obedient to that. So that being said, let's pick up the story back with Samuel and Saul, they're still together, there's still, even though Samuel retired somewhat, retired from one role, he's still the spiritual advisor to the king. He's not the judge any longer. He gave that up in chapter 13. Now he is that advisor. He's still beckoning and being that spiritual leader, even in retirement. We talked about that last week, about how retirement doesn't mean that you just stop. You continue on, especially Spiritually. Chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to you to anoint you king over his people, of his people Israel. So listen now to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Immacolites for what they did to Israel when they, when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and to totally destroy all their belongings to them do not spare them put to death men women children and infants cattle and sheep camels yes and even the donkeys <laughs> kind of an inside joke about the donkeys right because they came up in many chapters right we talked about how important the donkeys were as transportation and their value and chasing after them but this seems very harsh when we read this, we say, really, this is what God's saying? Go and wipe them out totally? I mean, and it's not leaving anyone to bear, right? It's taking out everything. This is not how normally a, a battle was done, right? It, you know, obviously, you would kill the fighting men, but you, you would take into slavery or into captivity the women and quite often the children as well. You certainly would keep the cattle and the sheep and the donkeys. You would keep all the plunder. That was part of a normal battle that was being done. But here, God is bringing judgment on a nation who was hostile to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And so he's punishing them, and he wants to use Israel to do that. Also notice he's very specific in what he's asking them, right? There's no doubt, there's no question. It's a very serious command that he's giving them. And he's saying, don't spare any of them. Basically, wipe them out. Again, we have to trust God when when God does this in his word. We have to trust that he knows exactly what he's doing. Because this doesn't seem logical and it's not the norm for even that day but God has a purpose. And again, God sees things that we don't see, and I quite often see that. God's always working on multiple levels. We get a very small glimpse, and it's very tainted at best, of what God's really doing. And so this is no different. Again, we read it and saying, wow, this seems kind of odd, but yet this is what God commanded. And so Samuel tells Saul, here's what we want he wants you to do. Here's what God's commanding from you. So, Verse 4, so far so good. Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, Canaanites go away and leave Amalek, the, uh, the Amalek's, so that they so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. So again, the separation, right? God's very specific, and Saul is starting out here very um, well. He he doesn't want to... The commentator said that they probably had an agreement or they were in amongst them. And so to, to, to spare them and spare their lives, he has them move away this group who was friendly to the Israelites. And so you see the purpose, right? It's to to bring judgment for something that happened in the past, and God's now reinforcing that and wants that to be done. Also, just so you know, the Amalekites were down at the the southern part of Israel, which accounts for the fact that a lot of the men came from Judah, that lower section of Israel. So for geography and those people that like that, if you go back and look at it, it's down in that lower half down towards Egypt. Philistines were out by the water. Amalekites were there. Canaanites were to the north. Israel always has enemies all around them, yet they manage to survive and stay strong. But this group is to the south. And so Saul is moving the troops there, and he's setting up for the battle. He's setting up the trap. Verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalek's, and the way from I kept, PJ e. how do you say that? We were practicing this on the way from the plane. Haver- hey, believe- I. I kept mixing up the, <laughs> obviously I didn't practice on the plane well enough, so we were having fun with it, so, but to sure near the eastern border of Egypt, he took King Age, King of the Amalekites, Am- yeah, Amalekites, there we go, alive, Amalekites, uh, thank you, I needed help with that. Amalekites, I'll get it yet, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Verse 9. I'm making even my grandson cry. Uh, <laughs> but Saul and the army spared Hege and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fattened calves and lambs. Everything that was good. All right, you see the problem, right? why I spent some time in that beginning part showing the details of what God required yet you see here Saul's not quite doing exactly what God said. One of the things that God always requires is obedience and not just partial obedience or obedience as we see it or to be manipulated he wants total obedience and Saul's not quite fulfilling the role. Right? He's not doing it, right? He, he took the king alive. Right? When I read back there and back in, in the beginning of uh, verse three of this, right, it says, "Do not spare anyone." And so bringing the king alive, that's a that's mistake number one, or one of many here, right? He did destroy a lot of the people. He did that part. But verse nine, his army spared not only the king, but also the best sheep the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything that was good, right? Again, twisted what God had said, did not fully obey what God had said, and so was keeping some of the good stuff, the plunder, right? Taking some of that stuff on for himself. Which would have been fine if it was a normal, and it wasn't Israel, and it wasn't what God had told them, but that's not what God said. And so you see how far Saul's progression here is getting off and we also notice that when Saul gets confronted he doesn't always handle it well and we'll see here in the upcoming verses he's going to get himself into trouble really quick with the Lord and with Samuel so they keep everything that was good these were these they were unwilling to destroy completely but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed so they picked and choose right God, I know what you told me, but I'm going to pick this to do, and I'm not going to do that. That's too hard, or that doesn't seem right. Again, we can be harsh on Saul here, and again, he's the leader, he's the king, he should know better, but if we could be honest, we do the same thing sometimes, right? God tells us to do something, and we kind of pick the easy parts of that, or at least I do. Maybe I'm the only one this morning. If if I'm alone, that's fine but we kind of leave out the hard stuff. Well, that's too hard, or I'll leave that for somebody else. But hey, this isn't too bad. I'll, I'll take this blessing. I'll do what God says here, that picking and choosing. Again, like I said earlier, God is requiring total obedience. Consequences, verse 10. It says, In the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. I I love the the interaction. Again, we're studying Samuel, so it kind of makes sense. And again, God's speaking through Samuel and he says, I regret what I've done. Samuel's not turning, I mean, Saul's not turning out to be the king that I wanted for the people. Again, he's not following he's not completely obeying his heart's not right. And Samuel gets angry. I mean, the Bible is just, just open with that that Samuel's angry. Remember, Samuel didn't want the king. Samuel was that, that that lone voice that said, No, 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 we don't need a king, right? God's our king. And so Samuel getting angry here is that human side of Samuel that we see, right? He's mad. I'm sure there was a few in there, at least in his mind. See, Lord, I told you so. I I told you they they didn't want a king, right? And the fact that he cried out all night to the Lord, I kind of infer that he probably was complaining to God, saying, God, look what happened, right? They didn't need a king, but they wanted one, and you gave it to them, right? So there's that, I'm sure there was that open conversation with the Lord, like, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not turning out right. Again, Samuel's not removed from all of this, right? He's part of Israel, he's part of the, the kingdom. So he's, the consequences are affecting him as well. And so the fact that he's angry, I, again, that raw emotion is perfectly natural. And then what, he, what he's doing with it is where we see his character, right? He's complaining to the Lord, he's crying out to God. So, verse 12. Early in the morning, again, he spent all night having this battle with God. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul had gone on to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Okay, a couple of other problems here, right? We, we, again, Samuel's not with Saul in the battle, Saul's done wrong, and then now he's moving around, and he goes up on a mountain and sets up a monument for himself. See the progression, right? Stops obeying God, doesn't do exactly what he says. Now he's setting up monuments, right? Not, Not for God's sake, he's setting them up for Saul's sake. The king's really getting off the rails here. Things are going going bad and you got to imagine Samuel right he's going to expect in one place and now he's going to go another and so he's got to travel some more I can only imagine that his frustration is probably building a little bit right? he's going to let Saul have it when he sees him and, and now he's been delayed and he's got to walk even further to go catch up with him verse 13 it says when Samuel reached him Saul said to him the Lord bless you and I have carried out the Lord's instructions can you imagine Samuel hearing that response right you ever have that, that, that nerve that someone hits that you just it's a, almost like we'll call it a trigger right it, we go from zero to 100 in a hundred in a heartbeat for Samuel this is probably one of those phrases that didn't go very well right almost the, the arrogance in Saul at this point right you know, he's trying to trying to cover up himself, right? He's saying, "Hey, Samuel, I I did what God told me, right?" No, again the the arrogance to this point. Verse fourteen, but Samuel said, "What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear?" Uh oh. Samuel's not fooled, right? Nice try, Saul, but n- not so much. I'm, I'm hearing some animals that weren't here before. And again, it's, it's the, the words mean more than what he's saying. He says, I know that you didn't do what, what you were told to do. Right? And God already told him, but now he's seeing it in live action. But the arrogance of Saul has made him probably even a little more outraged. And so he hears the plunder. He hears the things that they've taken to the Immaculites. Verse 15, so Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Like I said, he's caught, right? Samuel catches him. He's dead to rights. He knows, and so what's he do? He blames, right? Blame shift. had an encounter with my, my granddaughter, and her mother yelled from the other room about her flicking her brother and you know, with, with her fingers and I'm sitting right next to her and I watched the whole thing happen and mom says you know Willow I told you to stop flicking Alex and she goes well I, I didn't and I said Willow yes you did I, I watched you I mean we're like closer than me and John right well she's I didn't hit him with it I just I missed so it didn't count <laughs> the mind of a seven-year-old right and I said, but Willow, you did. And so we had this, this conversation back and forth, but it, it's so typical, and it remind reminds me of this passage, right? Saul is caught, and what's he do? Oh, hey, it's the soldiers. Well, who's the leader of the soldiers? <laughs> Saul, right? He's blaming his own men, right? He's throwing them under the bus, right? They're the ones, right? But yet they did for a good reason, Right? They're going to sacrifice them. They're, you know, and they brought the good ones. They didn't bring the bad ones. They brought the good ones. They're going to, right? That's part of the sacrifice. Again, excuses, blame-shifting excuses, trying to make it look good, trying to find a way out of this. But Saul knows, and so doesn't Samuel. Verse 16, in my, my Bible, this is, is highlighted, and it's got an exclamation point, enough, right? He probably, Samuel's screaming this at this point enough, right? Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. And Samuel goes, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you the king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission. And he said, go and completely destroy those wicked people. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce? Or why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Right? Samuel's had enough. He's like, you know what? Now you're just going to get it. And he just lambasted him. Brings it full forward. And again, it's pointed right at Saul. Right? It's not, he's not blaming the men. He's not blaming the circumstances. He's blaming Saul Directly. Saul's missed a great opportunity here. He's missed the opportunity to be the leader of all of Israel and to be the king that he's given every opportunity to succeed. Yet he's failed miserably. He's missed a great opportunity. How many times has that happened in our own lives? Right? We're not obedient, We, we miss out, and we don't always see even what it could have been, but we miss opportunities. And so Saul misses, as a leader, he misses a great opportunity here. Samuel gives that little reminder, right? Hey, you were just a little guy watching donkeys, and I made you king. You could have had it all. You could have had the kingdom. You could have reigned. Your sons could have continued on generation. You could have left a legacy, yet your mistakes, your disobedience has cost you. Saul's not quite there yet. Verse and I love the interaction. It's great. He says, But I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission and that the Lord had assigned me. I completely destroyed the Macalites and brought back Agai, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what they, it was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, the God at Gilgal. Again, he doesn't get it, right? He's still, he's still blame-shifting, still denying you know, you know, I, I did right. I, I, he's he's denying. He's caught, much like my granddaughter. She she just was not quite ready to admit that 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 she flicked her brother. She didn't want the consequences. She, I well, just did the air in its face in clothes, and closed. Her aim was bad. That was the only reason she didn't. Saul's the same way. He's caught dead to rights, but yet he's denying. And now he's trying to make it right. Trying to manipulate the situation. Samuel's not having any of it, and Samuel replies back to me. He says, "'Do the Lord, the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices "'as much in obeying the Lord? "'To obey is better than sacrifice, "'and to heed is better than the fat of rams. "'For rebellion is like the sin of the divination, "'and the arrogance is like evil of idolatry. "'Because you've rejected the word of the Lord,' He has rejected you as king. This pronouncement is really hard and it's harsh. And again, he's refuting now the part of that, you know, Saul's intentions were to, to sacrifice these animals. And he's saying, that doesn't cut it. No, that doesn't, that doesn't make it all right, right? You don't get to bargain with God. You don't get to, to change what God says for your own purposes, that's what Saul's trying to do here. He's trying to manipulate the situation, saying, well, you know, I'm sacrificing. The old joke was, you know, well, I could go rob a bank and give it all to God or 10% to God, and God would be okay with it. Well, no. It's kind of the same thing. It's just foolish, right? That sounds foolish, but I've heard things pretty much as same or similar, just as foolish. And same thing here. This is pretty foolish to try to manipulate this. And Samuel's saying that's not what God wants, right? we will see from the story of David, God's always about the heart. He cares about the heart. He wants obedience, but he wants the heart. And Saul's heart is not right. He's not listening to God anymore, and it's going to cost him dearly. And here at this point, he's he's rejecting you as king, right? He's no longer entrusting you with his people. He's, He's rejecting you as king. Again, part of that progression, kind of in that middle ground. We're not all the way to the end yet of Saul's end of his kingdom, but right at this point he's midway through and, and now it's come to, to bear that Samuel's giving him the news, you're going to lose your kingship. Right? You're rebelling against God, you're working against God and God's not going to have it. Verse 24 here as so we'll work through the, the last part of this chapter. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Most commentators, and even when we look at it, we, we can see this is probably not a true confession. Right? This is more of like the I'm sorry I got caught than the I'm sorry for what I did. Right? And the fact that he, he's afraid of the men, right? He's more concerned about what others think of him, what he's presenting, than he is of God. He's got things out of order here, right? And so we don't see that true repentance here. We don't see a true change of heart here at all. He said Saul's probably most likely afraid that, oh man, I've messed up, but hey, maybe I can still salvage some of this and so I'll try to make it right now by confessing now that I've been caught. Verse 25 says, Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Again, he he doesn't want to lose Samuel in this either, right? He knows that Samuel holds that spiritual key or that spiritual card, and so keeping Samuel around helps him with the people. Samuel was loved by the, the Israelites, and so he doesn't want to lose Samuel because that's a key part of his kingship. And so I believe that's part of it here. He's trying to hold on to at least Samuel and that relationship part. Verse 26, But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you, You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Then Samuel turned to leave, and Saul caught caught hold of him, the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbors, to one who is better than you. Ouch. Ouch. Saul actually gives him an illustration. It's something he can see. It's tangible, right? Saul goes to grab Samuel, and all of a sudden he he rips his his robe, and and again, Samuel just turns it back and says, here's here's an illustration. It's going to be the same way it's going to be ripped out of your hands. All because you have rejected the Lord. He says... Again, he's going to establish someone better, right? We know that better one that's coming is David, but ultimately the better one is Jesus. It's part of that that line, that ongoing continuation thought here. And Verse 29 says, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a human being that he could, or that he should change his mind. Again, that foreshadowing of what's yet to come right Uh, the true king the king that we serve today our lord jesus christ the perfect king david's going to be a a king and he's going to be a better king than saul and the king that all humans get compared to but jesus is the one is the ultimate one that does not sin does not lead us astray and so the pointing towards that even back here in the scriptures And lastly, here in the end of the chapter, it says, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Again, Samuel wavers a little bit here, but again, there's that that part of Samuel, I think, that, that still wants it to go well, still wants true repentance, God's going to follow through with his word, but Samuel still has hope for Saul. Again, It's not going to happen immediately. There's going to be some time that goes on here. And so Samuel goes back with Saul, right? But, but you even see the, the reasoning though, right? Saul's really saying, hey, Samuel, I need you to keep credibility right? before the elders. I need you. You're, like I said, he's almost playing Samuel as a card here. And Samuel here goes along with him and some commentators have said that Samuel probably was disobedient here. He, he probably should have just left Saul. But at least here, we don't know that for sure. But Samuel does go with him. But the relationship's going to change. Verse 32, Then Samuel said, Bring me the, the king of the Amalekites." Agai came to him in chains. And the king thought, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agai to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Right? Samuel completes the mission. Someone says, hey, God still required this, and guess what? I'm going to complete it. And so Samuel steps into Saul's role here, really, and kills the king. We even have that little bit, that the, 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 the king... That guy thought he was going to get away with it, right? I may be in chains for the rest of my life. I may be in prison, but at least I have my life. Samuel says, no, pronounces judgment and kills him. Verse 34, then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gilbeth of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul King over Israel, like I said, the relationship was changed. Right, relationships not the same. Saul and Samuel split after he goes before the elders, and you, they they don't encounter each other again in person. They'll have an encounter. You'll have to come back in a couple of weeks. You'll see that one. It's a strange past scripture, so it's a teaser out there. But. uh their relationship's not the same, right? Samuel has to distance himself now from Saul. It's not going to be easy. I think Samuel truly wanted Saul to succeed. I mean, again, wanting your leader to fail is really kind of foolish. It's, it's not smart, it's not wise, and it's not helpful, right? It affects you, you know. It's kind of like punching yourself in the nose. Why would you do that? But there's a grieving here that's going to start because the relationship is no longer the same. Saul has gone past the point. He's done wrong. So, a couple of takeaways for us this morning as we looked at this and spent time together, right? Does God want partial obedience? Does God want obedience when it fits our time? Does he want it when it fits our schedule, when it fits our needs? No. God wants complete obedience. And if we don't, there are consequences. Again, it may not be as severe as Saul here, but they certainly can be as severe. And they can be damaging. And they can hurt relationships. And so take it as a warning for us this morning, right? If God tells you to do something, do it and do it completely. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our time this morning in your word. We thank you that we get to look at the scriptures, Lord, and that we can learn from them. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your word and to your calling on our lives. And Lord, when you speak to us, that we would be completely obedient to you that we not miss those details, that we not miss those things that you're telling us to do. Give us the courage to carry them out. Lord, help us in that. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need you. And Lord, that you may get the victory. Lord, I thank you for our time this morning. And Lord, as we come in a few minutes to celebrate what you did on the cross for us, as we take communion together, and Lord, we celebrate you as the true, the one and only King, our King, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask the men to come forward as we do take our time of communion this morning, as we like to do here. and Here at Pointway, it's an open communion table. And what that means is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to partake of the sacraments, you're welcome to join us in that. and um, But we do take it seriously. And so with that, we take Scripture seriously and the warning that comes in Scripture. And so it instructs us, as so, so, so that whenever you eat the bread or drink from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, we'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup of the Lord. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so what we like to do here at Pointway is just where you're at, just bow your head, close your eyes, and just between you and the Lord, just spend a little time together. I'm going to ask Steve if he'll give thanks for the bread and the cup that we're about to receive and for what it stands for. And the cup of bread that's underneath your juice and scripture says for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me goes on in the same way after supper he took the cup this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And ask the worship minutes after you get your snack we'll close us in song and about five or ten minutes after you get your snack we'll have our congregational meeting after that as well and um, there's a lot of exciting things going on and so if you can stay, we'd enjoy having you stay. It's it's a non-voting meeting and so um, all are welcome, members, non-members, kids, um, welcome to stay with us um, this morning and hear what's going on. So.